You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning, welcome to the show. It is Tuesday, March the 21st, still here in a grey, very unspring-like TW11. I won't lie, quite looking forward to getting on a plane tonight to Dubai. That's where I will check in later in this show with Katie Walsh, who is consigning American bred horses to the Dubai Breeze Up sales tonight. But of course, I couldn't resist the opportunity to ask Katie about her father, Ted's Any Second Now, who was most impressive in the Webster Cup at Navin yesterday, en route to the Randox Grand National. So very much two birds with one well-directed stone a little later in the show. It's a busy show as well. I'll be talking to Con O'Keefe, the man who stands Diamond Boy, the sire of the brilliant Ampere A Pass, as part of our Weatherby's Bloodstock series. I'll be heading stateside to check in with the CEO of the first racing group, Aidan Butler, about an exciting new venture that should guarantee more international participation at Royal Ascot. Ascot, incidentally, have announced that Alistair Warwick, who'd been their acting interim chief executive, has been given the role for good. We'll be discussing his background and what he has achieved as an integral part of the Royal Racecourse later in the show. I'll also be catching up with Tom Magna from Coolmore, Australia, about why the victory of Shinzo in the Golden Slipper meant so much to their team, to Ryan Moore and to trainer Chris Waller. That really is a, a fascinating interview. And here's a blast from the past. Thierry Dumen, remember him, the man who marshaled Barracuda so effectively to a brace of stairs, hurdles, victory, victories, and was so closely associated with that golden era of French jumpers competing so well in, in Great Britain. Well, he's the man who trained the sire of Galapin des Champs, Timos. And it's a, a fascinating, yet ultimately rather tragic tale that he tells us later in the programme. In a few moments, hearing from Joey Logan, the man responsible for Caldwell Construction's interests uh, on the race course. They had a, a pretty good week at Cheltenham, though Mighty Potter was a notable disappointment. He'll be explaining why he thinks that horse didn't win in a few moments' time. But first of all, uh, on what is quite an Irish-themed edition of this podcast, Jane Mangan, welcome. Have you recovered from Cheltenham? Just about, Nick. And I, I wonder, do you have enough guests and content for this podcast? We don't just have Irish interests. We have Australia, we have Dubai, and we have France. So there's a lot to take in and we're ready to go, ready to roar. We are. Questions that you wanted answered out of the Cheltenham Festival. What was rolling around your head as you woke up this morning? Well, uh, the first thing was uh, Mighty Potter, I suppose you wanted to know, what was he okay after he hung violently right? And where was he going to go next? I wanted to know a little bit more about the sire of Gallop and Deschamps that nobody seems to know much about. And uh, I just wanted to give a little bit of credit to Ryan Moore, who over last weekend, while we were recovering on the couch watching Ireland win uh, the Grand Slam, he was going from Melbourne to Hong Kong and taking all before him. All right, well, I can answer the first of those questions now, or at least Joey Logan can. This is what he had to say about Mighty Potter's ostensibly rather disappointing run as the 6-4 to four on favourite in last week's Turner's Novices Chase. 
yeah, look, we were hoping when Jack and Go- Gordon spoke about the race previous in the previous week, we always rode him a bit more p- prominent, and we were hoping he'd be in the first first or second he loves to make the running or being behind the horse unfortunately the race didn't work out that way he was fourth or fifth or further back and I think Paul's horse got a lovely freebie in front now he did lose his shoe and he did drift over to the right badly now saying all that we got him checked and he is quite sore yesterday morning nothing serious but I thought he ran a good race that it didn't work out for him on the day. Yes, there was a lot of hype about him and everyone was saying he was the banker of the week and there was, there was a lot of pressure put on going into the race. But if you look back at everything, genuinely, the, the race did not suit him at all. Like, if you look when he won the drum Trimmore, when he won in the Dublin Festival, he was always jumping the last or the second last in front. He's a, he's a horse that keeps galloping. And probably Davy found that he ended up a bit too far back in the race. Now he jumped fantastic, but um, he did lose his shoe and he drifted badly on the right and the run in, and he was only beaten four lengths. So there's a lot of positives to take out of the race. Um, we're going to give him a, an easy week now, and hopefully we get him back. And I spoke to Gordon yesterday, and we're thinking of Fairy House or definitely Punchestown. Ferry House and definitely Punchestown, where he was so good last year. Of the others, I, I'm Jazzy Matty won. It, what would be the plan for him? Then we could go to Aintree with him or keep him for Punchestown. Like, he is a massive, he's, he's 16-3. He's, obviously, he's a half-brother to Delta work. So, to be even running at this young age, we left him in France when we bought him as a two-year-old. At, and he was in with uh, Gary Lenders. So... He's, he's a lot of mileage on the clock for a young horse so it wouldn't be the worst thing to do is probably keep him for next season but if Gordon decides to run him we, we'd be happy to run him and, and of the others who are you most pleased with? We're very happy with Pipe Piper he ran a cracker he gave a lot of weight away he, he would give a stone and a half to the second horse he um, obviously Davy was very sore and he didn't. He pecked and landing after the last, and we're, I think we're unlucky with him. He could have won. We're very happy with the bumper horse. No time to wait. He's a horse with a big future, I'd say. He he only was beaten ten lengths. He was out the back, and it was only his second run. We're very pleased with him. To be honest, a lot of our horses ran very well. We're very happy with the week. All right, that was Joey Logan, who is responsible for the racing and bloodstock interests of Caldwell Construction Limited. Their red and white colours were carried by Mighty Potter, Pied Piper, the winner, Jazzy Matty, and others. Um, quick line on Mighty Potter. Uh, I tell you, if I'm hoping Davy Russell's just gone away for a few days, basically, Jane. I, I, I get the point that a lot of the jockeys were too far back and the sectionals told you that it was a, a super ride on, on the winner stage star, but... I don't. I don't think Mighty Potter would have won, you know, even if he'd been given the best ride ever last week. Yes, look, everybody's entitled to their opinion. Joey's expressed his, um, Gordon, and I'm sure everybody's dissected the race when it comes to sectionals and all the replays that everybody's watched. But personally, if if Mighty Potter was the horse that I thought he was, he would he would have won. He jumped brilliantly under Davy. He had it, it wasn't a big field to overcome. He had ample opportunity and time to get there. 
he has a few excuses now that he lost his left foreshoe, which may have been the reason why he leaned right because he was consolidating on the on the right foreleg. But ultimately, if he's the horse I thought he was, he'd have won. And I don't think it's a true reflection of the horse's form. I'm not going to point fingers at Davy. I think all things considered, if he was good enough on the day, he'd have got there. Uh, Ferry House possibly next. It's the grade one at Ferry House as well en route to, to Punchestown. And he was so brilliant at Punchestown last year. That seems a highly viable target. Interesting that um, Joey was talking about Jazzy Matty maybe for entry. That boodles to the grade one route's been taken by quite a few horses down the years. Boodles to the to the anniversary hurdle. Yes, um, the Boodles this year, it's brought a bit of a surprise. It wasn't like last year we had Gaelic Warrior in Brazil, um, but the form stacks up because Biker was well fancied and, and Jazzy Maddy got up to to beat him. Whether this guy's a great graded performer, I think he could be. Like He's a proper national hunt bred horse. He's not a, a flat bred horse that's just about staying and just about jumping. Um, obviously, the cheek pieces held, helped him last week, but I do genuinely think he could make his presence felt. Uh, what is it? His ratings would have to improve an awful lot if he's going to get near the triumph horses or even get near Lossy Mouth, but he, he, may well, he may well make that, that jump. Yeah, Harper the Delta work, a lovely big horse. You'd think that of all those horses who ran in the in the Boodles, he's got by far the most scope to turn into something pretty decent. Thierry Dumen knows all about decent horses. He doesn't train racehorses anymore. He he packed that in about ten years ago, but he's he's still heavily involved. He was a a very precocious and and talented rider, and and the same goes for his his training ability. He also sourced Timos, the sire of Galapan de Champs, whom he trained for the Marquesa de Moratala stakes winning horse as well and, and took him to some pretty fine places around the world including a run in the japan cup uh the horse sadly timos is no longer with us uh, thierry dumen picks up the story and, and charts his career right from the word go yeah the timos timos was an amazing horse uh, quite quite an outstanding horse a real gentleman it started off in uh baden baden cells um where i i i'm uh, drove to to spot out of maybe a few yearlings, uh, um, uh, German horses were starting to to be to be quite famous, and uh, I'd been quite lucky. Was was German horses was uh, previously was Foreman. It was it was a, a, a German bred horse too. So uh, we are, went to Baden Baden and and uh, went around the yearlings and uh, uh, spotted out that 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 uh, that horse called Timos. He was by Sharokov. Sharokov uh, first uh, first season. First yearlings of of Sherlockoff, so it was a bit of a, of a bargain to go for it or not. You, you you'd certainly notice that it, it he wouldn't be a very precautious horse. Uh, uh, bringing to, to the races at, at two would would be would be out of the question. But um, he was he was a, a lovely yearling already, and uh, and the, the 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 mayor had already produced a couple of of, of group horses on the flat, so group winners on the flat. Brought him back to uh, the yard in um, La Marle Chantilly and uh, had a chat with the Marquesa. Uh, she was always a great challenger and a great supporter. And he did a lovely career. He was uh, a runner-up to the Grand Prix de Chantilly, grade two, runner-up to the Foie. Uh, no, he was a third of the Prix Foie, which was um, the prep to, to the Arc. Uh, he ran the Arc, uh, pulled, pulled a, a not, not totally outside number, so... Uh, that was that, yeah well that was no luck but you know now the triumph if you have the 18 on 18 basically it's, it's a difficult task uh we got invited to the japan cup well he wasn't very lucky but it's a, it's a big race um no it was a fantastic horse he was a real gentleman he was a 
very classy horse, very kind horse, um, tall, but you know he was a he wasn't he wasn't a, a heavy lousy horse. He was a, he was a, he was a great horse. Uh, and the rest of his career has been a, as I said, it, it it's been a, a successful one insofar as he signed a Gold Cup winner, but a, a sad one insofar as he's he's no longer with us. W- what happened to him? Well, just yeah, the end the end is very very sad, and, and I'm, I'm, I must say it's um, I'm not very happy about it. Uh, after his, his racing career, we decided to um, to support him as a as a as a national hunt uh, stallion, um, and um, I myself sent uh, you know probably between five and ten broodmares to him every year uh, to to try and launch his career, um, and 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 uh, the. Um, the stallion fields in jumping stallion fields in France is 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 I could say you know is is close to 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 saturated. It's not easy to launch a new stallion. Um, um, the, stud, uh, the studs, you know, they already have two, three uh, stallions trying trying to launch them. It's, it's you know, so it's not easy to find to find a uh, to find a place for 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 a stallion. So we we yeah, we decided to give him as much chance as we could, and obviously coming hitting to the fifth year where the for for a for a, for a national hunt stallion, the, the the first production is or, or the two first productions are already starting to to show what they're able to do. Uh, there'd been a couple of winners, maybe a, a, you know. And and we just needed a, an, another year to to see if 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 these horses would confirm uh, at a higher level or not. And um, and at that point, um, I must say, um, I I I went around a few stud farms and 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 nobody had the um, had the opportunity or the space to take him because you know um, basically I had to let him go and he was he was sold abroad. Uh, which was, you know, uh, very sad because six months later, obviously, um, these horses came in um, the frame, and um, and uh, and people were asking after Tim. So, uh, an amazing horse and, and a bit of a of a, of a sad ending. Because he went to Libya, didn't he? And then and then you tried to get him back, or somebody tried to get him back from Libya, and he he died in transit. Well, I uh, he I, I sold him abroad uh, for for Tunisia, and then he ended up in in Libya. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, the the rest of the story is a bit shady, and um, um, I have no comment on that because it has nothing to do with me. Uh, so um, I, yeah, I I don't want to talk about that. Yeah, no, I, I can understand because he was obviously a horse that you were very fond of. Yeah, well, you know, these horses when uh, you know when you when you trainer or trainer you know breeder. Um, well, I stopped training now, obviously, uh, ten years ago. But um, I mean, you know, you're you're, you're very close to these horses, and, uh, and when you've spotted them out, yearling, and 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 you've done, you know, uh, long, 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 you know, long, uh, long road together. It's um, yeah, it's quite painful. So now I was very, very sad to to, to let him go. Um, uh, you know, you run the you run the uh, you run the story back, and uh, you would think uh, I should have found another solution, but you know, at that time I didn't. So um, uh, just um, yeah, yeah, a very sad story at the end. Thierry Dumen there, clearly quite upset and moved by the ultimate fate of of Timos. Jane, uh, there's all sorts of there's all sorts of lessons, I suppose, that we we can we can learn from that story. Um, and one is that you you have to try and stick by your stallions, but it's uh, it's awfully difficult. And and Thierry Dumen had, had had given this horse an awful lot of support. Yes, look, it's easy to be wise after. But ultimately, here was a son of Shalikov who'd won a couple of listed races from a mile and a quarter to a mile and a half. But you had Shalikov, his sire, as the other option. And you've got plenty of the Sadler's Wells line 
in Britain, Ireland and France. So look, he covered, I think he produced around 60 foals uh, from seven breeding seasons. And he's got what looks like to be, you know, one of the best around and, and maybe a bit of a freak given the fact that Gallop and Deschamps has five dams on his page and it's it's a pretty white page while he has a black type sibling there's nothing for the next five dams um but he obviously Tomas got exported to Tunisia ended up in Libya and uh was lost basically in in transit somewhere along the line but it's easy to be wise after if you ask me at the time would I use a horse that was you know, beaten 30 lengths by workforce in the arc, bought for 46 by Thierry Duman. Um, you know, you you couldn't. You couldn't say that. He, if you were around today, he'd be 18 years old. Um, but when you don't get the opportunity to shine, you know, it, it would leave you... Lead, it, it's a little bit like Germany, actually, the horse that um, produced Sam Crow and a tiger cry. And he had very few horses on the ground, but the number of good horses that he got was exceptional. It's very easy to be wise after, but this guy was definitely uh, missed in 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 a lot of spectrums. Yeah, the the shady business of uh, of Timos, as, as Thierry Dumen referred to it. Um, but Galopin Deschamps, fingers crossed, will will fly the flag for his legacy for a little while to come. Now, Katie Walsh, we know, is a woman who wears many hats, and she wears nearly all of them with with great credit. Uh, she is a huge part of of the team behind any second now, who goes to the Grand National with a great chance after his victory at Navan yesterday. She is also multi-talented when it comes to producing breeze-up horses and does so at all the sales around the world, including this week in Dubai, where Goffs are holding their breeze-up sale after the, after the success of last year. It requires uh, vendors to be pretty savvy about knowing where they're sourcing the horses and knowing what the market is. And uh, that is where Katie and I began our conversation a little earlier on. Yeah, it's worked well, Nick, to be honest. Um, it was a bit of a complicated week last week with Cheltenham on. The horses travelled over uh, Wednesday morning. They arrived in Wednesday evening of Cheltenham. And then we travelled over on Thursday night and we arrived Friday morning. Most of the horses travelled well and um, they all came off the boxes kicking and squealing. So and Tom Taff and the whole team have done a fantastic job and it's really improved on last year again. There's a lot of people knocking around, good crowd, and um, yeah, it seems to be positive vibes all around. And so how do you go about sourcing horses for this sale? What do you want? What are you looking for? What's going what's gonna to go well? Well, I think it was fairly evident from last year of the results that people were liking a bigger, stronger American type of model, to be honest. Um, obviously, a lot of horses went from here back to Europe last year but a lot of horses stayed here and ran here horses went to Saudi um, and ran and won in Saudi as well so but it seemed to be fairly evident that people wanted American big horses for next year um, with dirt pedigrees that seemed to come to the fore so that's what a lot of people went off and shopped for and I think most people are happy with what they got so they're fingers crossed that it all works out So what do you got this time? Intimacy of Colt um with a really good pedigree. He was born the 22nd of May, but he's 16-3, so it's quite evident that he's going to take a bit of time. He uh, breezed quite nicely over here, and he seemed to handle the surface really, really well. Um, he's out of a good mare. She won four times in America herself. Then I have another colt as well, in a tonalist colt, um, who's a big horse as well, 16-3, um, and he's going to take a bit of time as well. You know, he's definitely... These are 
three-year-olds you know what i mean and this is the beauty about this sale because realistically the season is winding down over here these horses are going to need a bit of time but so we've been lucky enough to get them here in good shape and they seem to be going the right direction and they seem to be liked which is nice can't let you go without asking you about any second nails win in, in ireland yesterday for his, his prep for the grand national for your for your dad ted um i didn't think there was any point in ringing him because he just told me how badly handicapped he was but i <laughs> You'll you'll give me you'll give me a, a good approach. I tell you what, I love the way he finished his race off. He, head down, looked like he was loving the game. Yeah, you know, I mean, he's definitely he has to wear those blinkers, you know, because it's not that he's ungenuine, but he's just quite lazy, and it's only he'll only give you what you ask, and it's never going to be flashy. So, um, you know, but really, when you start to ask him and he really gets stuck in and he really puts his head down so listen Nick he's been a fantastic horse for for us over the years he's just a model of consistency trip two miles three miles four miles you know it's been fantastic to have him and you know he's certainly up against it but it's very exciting to go back again I mean small number of horses we have it's a small team but to have him in the yard every year you know it's just so nice to have a horse like him of that standard and that quality and um, I was certainly didn't miss that yesterday I was watching it over here in Dubai and I was roaring at the phone but um yeah you know it's it's just it's such an exciting time of year you know to have something to run in a national whatever a caliber horse it is you know it's it's a very special race to be a part of and we've been it's a race that's been extremely lucky to to me and to my family over the years so uh, to have any second now going back to see him win yesterday i'm delighted for dad you know it's it's um it's great he's had him going back there now in the same nick every year and um you know it's just it's a month away I rang dad this morning and he said he licked up the pot last night and he's in great form and you know the next four weeks will be very exciting time in our house and we're all really looking forward to it and listen who knows it's the national it's it's been it's been he has definitely been unlucky in it and um, last year you know he was beaten fair and square but he has top weight it's all up against him but sure I even think he's a little bit better to be honest so hopefully fingers crossed Katie Walsh there. I tell you what, Jane Mangan, you could tell what was business and what was pleasure. The voice went up about two octaves when we started talking about the Grand National horse. Yeah, and why not? Any second now, what uh, what a horse. You know, he's been placed in two nationals. He's won a Kim Yor. I think five of his seven wins have been in graded company and he gives his running every time. I, I, I think if you don't get excited and passionate about a horse like that, who gives your family, uh, the owners, uh, such pleasure, you know, they're they're so hard to come by and his longevity now an 11 year old not only is a testament to the horse himself but to ted to katie and to everybody associated with him that he's evidently from his performance at navin still loving the game and i don't think he's a forlorn hope either uh, it's so often when you get trainers saying he yeah he can't win the handicap has done this that and the other it, it's the enthusiasm that he still shows for racing that I think still puts him in there with a great shout. Yeah, look, he's got, he's rating of 167. He's got a lot of weight, but he has it for good reason. Um, and he's acquitted himself with huge credit in the past with a, a massive weight. Do I think he can win carrying 11-12? No, I don't. But I think he can run a very good race. If he was a younger horse, I'd give him a massive chance. I, t- I would put him down as... You know, we have unlucky stories when it comes to the national. He must be one of the most unlucky, right up there probably with Clan Royal in the very same colours, uh, who, you know, this guy made every trouble in running the year Manila Times won 
and that's the way the stars align for him in his career. But he'll always be remembered for being a good horse, a proper good horse. He loves Aintree, and I, I would, I would be, think you'd be brave to back against him being placed again. Now you mentioned earlier in the show how much in admiration you were of Ryan Moore's work ethic, workload, and effectiveness wherever he rides around the world. He was riding in Australia last weekend. He popped up to Hong Kong as well. We spoke yesterday about what he'd done in Australia, which was not only step in for the injured, only for the moment, Tom Marquand on Dubai Honor to win the Ranvet at Rose Hill for William Haggis. He also struck in one of the great marquee races in Australian racing, the Golden Slipper in the Coolmore Silks on a horse called Shinzo. Uh, I've been talking to Coolmore's Tom Magna, who was visibly ecstatic after the race, about why this victory in this race meant so much to everybody concerned. Ryan Moore wreathed in smiles, Chris Waller, highly emotional, and, and Magna himself and all his co-owners. Hey, Nick, how are you getting on? Um, I suppose in England you have the, the Epsom Derby, in Kentucky you have the Kentucky Derby. You, you have, you know, like arguably stallion-making races that, you know, um, around the world are, are, are seen as the, the main stallion-making races. And I suppose the, the Golden Slipper is that race uh, in Australia. Uh, Australian racing is obviously very much around uh, two-year-olds. And whatever becomes the champion two-year-old down here uh, will always be a very hot um, stallion prospect. Um, Chris Waller had never won the race. Uh, we've stood uh, Piero, we stand Piero, who's a, a golden slipper winner. And we bought Vancouver, uh, who we stood him previously. He was a golden slipper winner. But when you look over the great stallions of Australia, uh, the golden slipper, you know, they won that race or they were in the first three. Um, so this this colt, um, you know, he was very special. Uh, he's owned by uh, a group of people here in Australia, but in the Northern Hemisphere, Derek Smith, uh, George Van Opel, uh, Joe Poulin and Dad. And we bought the mare, uh, Samaretti, uh, during COVID uh, when it was online. And they came into the mare. And uh, the foal came out by Snitzel being a colt. Snitzel's obviously a very good stallion down here, his champion sire. So it was a very well-bred colt, very good-looking horse. And we didn't end up um, getting him to the sale. And fortunately, uh, we have a colts fund down here. Um, of which they loved. We brought them down to see the cold on the farm, and we brought Chris down, and they really loved this guy. And we said, "Look, we'd like we'd like to race him with you." Um, so that happened, and he, he was very impressive uh, last weekend in the Pago Pago uh, with James McDonald on board. And yeah, James uh, was facing a suspension, which he managed to get off, but he ended up riding uh, the Godolphin horse Cylinder. And I was thinking, God, what are we going to do here? So we obviously had this very well-bred colt who was going for the slipper. And I thought, well, we need Ryan. And I spoke to the guys at home and, uh, you know, Aiden, MV. And we, we rang Ryan and said, look, would you be interested in doing this? And he, he looked at the race replays and said, God, I'd be delighted. Um, Ryan came down. He sat on him on the Thursday and... Yeah, he was really excited by what he felt. Uh, the horse went out and he just was so impressive uh, in the win. Ryan gave him an absolute unbelievable ride 
after winning the the previous race, the Group One on um, on the Pride of the Buy horse uh, of the Haggises. To to breed a horse on the farm, uh, you know that you really like and the team here on the farm in Australia I mean we have a top class team and full credit to our staff on the farm they really like this guy the whole way through and they said listen we, you should really race this horse you know he's lovely and we ended up doing that and it, it just became the dream when he won the stallion making race yeah. in Australia the golden slipper it's the equivalent to the Melbourne Cup I suppose it, it seems like you've completely hit the sweet spot here because you, everybody can see the commercial potential of it that's that's quite quite self-evident and you know these slipper winners can be valued at you know 50 million odds dollars and and so forth so the commercial potential's there it it, it it you get right to the heart of the the sort of hands-on teamwork aspect of the farm as you've just described but you get stallion races for races making races around the world like the guineas and the the Jacques Lamaua and the Met Mile it seems that that what you've got here is a race that is actually embedded into the into the consciousness and the culture of the uh, of the of the sporting public in Australia so it's it's that third little bit really to the to the to, to what makes this a special moment a hundred percent like this would have been on the on the front page of all the major media down here they obviously they loved their racing and I grew up obviously in Ireland, but you knew t- I knew two races in Australia as a kid. I knew the Melbourne Cup and the Golden Slipper, and you know it's just it's a dream. Obviously for for Dad, it's a race that he really wanted to win, and Derek, George, and Joe, and like it, it's hard to say, but I would say that with this guy's pedigree, he would be up there as one of the most uh, exciting uh, colts that's going to be heading to stud. What what happens to Shinzo now? I know I know Chris said he's going to give him a spell. What would be the obvious What would be the obvious next step? So what we'll do? He'll have a break for a couple of weeks. Uh, he'll go and you know because there it's been so hot here and you know the horses are in the city. He'll go out to uh, somewhere. He'll put his head down in the paddock for three or four weeks, and then he'll go back into pre-training, which is like trotting and cantering. And then go back into Chris's yard after that. There's a couple of races, obviously, at three, like the Golden Rose or the Coolmore Stud Stakes, which Home Affairs won. But the dream would probably be to get this horse to Ascot um, next year. That would be the that would be the pinnacle for this horse to you know to do it at three in Australia and then be able to take him off and, and try and do something in Ascot next year. Oh, and so that would be. And Ryan said he'd go better over a longer distance. So something like the Queen Anne 2024. Well, we'll see, but I'd say, you know, even Ryan was looking back, you know, the, the, the races like Chris Waller thinks he could be an Everest horse. So I suppose there's still a chance that he could run in those sprint races. Mm. But let's see let's see how he comes back at three. He's a horse that has a lot of maturing to do. He's a frame to grow into. But the one thing everybody agrees with is, you know, he, he's immature still and he'll make a great three-year-old. Tom Magna there. Jane Mangan is is with me once again. I'm no. I'm not really surprised that Ryan Moore was was only too keen to go to go and ride those. There's a wonderful picture of him. I mean, I have never seen a smile so broad on his face. And and why not? Number one, the Golden Slipper is so prestigious around the world. Everybody knows that that's one of the the, the diamonds, shall we say, of Australian racing. Um, the fact that he had such a run around the rail, it was as if Ryan Moore owned that inside rail at Rose Hill. He he got every break that he needed, but ultimately, um, I suppose to go down there with you know the team that you ride around the world for and show show what you can do. He's 
for me, the best global jockey, the best jockey full stop in, in, in flat racing. Anywhere he turns up, Shatin, um, Gulfstream Park, anywhere at all, Ryan Moore is never found wanting. And, well, I suppose the £1.6 million prize to the first winning horse is also another reason to smile. But he beat Cylinder quite well and then he went on to... Obviously, you mentioned he teamed up with, with Dubai Honour for William Haggis and then he went up to Shatin for seven rides and he, I think he finished third there in, in a group one as well. So a remarkable weekend for the jockey and I'd imagine for Chris Waller and Team Coolmore and all the syndicate of owners of Shinzo uh, having reared him, um, pre-trained him, taken him through all of that stage of his career. It's one of those really satisfying victories. Did you mention Gulfstream Park there uh, in the, uh, along the way? There was there was a little opportunity for you to segue into the Thanks. next segment. Thanks. We don't just throw the show together. <laughs> uh, um, yes. So Gulfstream Park, as I mentioned at the very top of the show, are enabling more international participants at Royal Ascot, courtesy of automatic entry from their two series of Royal Palm races that are going to be run this spring. For more on that, here's the first racing CEO, Aidan Butler. Hey Nick, yeah, we've got we basically have introduced two juvenile stakes. Um, you know, looking back, we've we've had a bit of luck from this country sending horses over to Ascot, especially in the juvenile fields. And I figured it was uh, with all eyeballs on racing at this time of the year, and a lot of eyeballs on you know the road to the Triple Crown. I thought it was a really good opportunity in that week in particular, which is a quieter week in between all you know all the big races. Um, to, to really put up two turf races and show how our fillies and our boys can go over and compete on the biggest stage there is, which is Royal Ascot. And Ascot are getting involved by offering quite a significant travel stipend to go with the with the automatic entry. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. We're uh, we've, we've worked um, we've worked quite closely with them. Obviously, um, you can tell I'm from not from not from this part of the world, as they say. So I've spent a lot of my life at Ascot. In fact, I worked there as a bookie for, for over 10 years so very uh familiar with how big that day is and what it you know what it means to the racing calendar globally so we've uh you know worked you know quite closely look working at well sorry we work quite closely with Ascot, looking at ways of how we can not only get these races to stand up and fill but then really incentivize um the american turf crowd to get over and get involved and so it's not only uh the, the decent prize money. I mean, we're both 100 grand stakes, which is great for the babies. Um, but it's also the travel stipend to get out there and also the entry to get into the races. So uh, really excited to uh, to see a, a couple of you know, good races here. And uh, I think there's more to come. I, th- I think historically, you know, there's uh, quite a few people from other parts of the world internationally will send to some of the bigger races out here, Breeders' Cup being one. But I really love the thought of, you know, showing how good turf racing, which sometimes is, I wouldn't say second fiddle, but on the back burner compared to the big turf races, showing how good the horses are over here and not only sending them to Ascot, but who knows what the future holds. It would be great to do this with other big races and other big jurisdictions across across the globe. So this might just be a dip of the toe in the water. I know you always like to make the world a smaller place, which is what we quite like to do on this podcast as well. Yeah, with that in mind and, and putting Gulfstream Park on, on the map a little bit, would you be looking towards next year trying to get more European horses coming your way, maybe for something like the, the two Pegasus turf races? 
absolutely. And I think we always try. Um, it's very difficult sometimes. I mean, the last few years, especially with what's been going on in the world of pandemics and, uh, and other things, it's been a little difficult to, to get, you know, the international runners we'd like. But, you know, racing is such a global sport. And I think those of us, um, especially your listeners who are, you know, concerned about not just one jurisdiction over another, love the ability to, you know, cross-compete. And so I think this is the first, hopefully it works well. If it doesn't, then it wouldn't be the first bad idea I've, I've been involved with. So we'll see how that goes. But I see this as the first of many opportunities to find weeks in the calendar where, and don't necessarily compete with the other big stuff we've got going on, all the other racing that we've got going on, and gives our ability for our for our you know owners, trainers, uh, horses to go over and and strut their stuff in other jurisdictions. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of excited, pal. But we'll we'll see. The proof of the pudding with all these things is in our you know the net results. So we'll see how we go. But um, hopefully we have a great turnout in the two races, and then we have some great uh, great performances by those winners, and then we'll take it from there. So the road to Royal Ascot, Jane Mangan runs through Miami for the Royal Palm Juvenile Stakes and the Royal Palm Juvenile Phillies Stakes. They're both worth 100 grand and the winner gets a 25 grand travel stipend from the US to England and automatic entry into any one of those Royal Ascot Juvenile races. It, it should it should have a, a, a reasonable bearing. Yes, you would hope that it would attract uh, maybe some new faces to Royal Ascot. You know, we, we, we've we become accustomed to having uh, Wesley Ward come over and steal some sterling and take it back to the US. But hopefully we'd uh, entice some new connections and new trainers to to come across. Look, the, the two races are over five furlongs. They're, they're worth a lot of money. They're getting 25 grand to travel. And then they have their choice of automatic entry to, to one of the juvenile races at Ascot. So hopefully we'd see another... Lady Aurelia or something uh, pretty rapid. Um, obviously, we want to, you know, you always want the Royal Meeting to be as international as it can be because we consider it to be the best meeting in the world when it comes to flat racing. And, um, you know, it just goes to show how quickly we go from the road to Cheltenham to the road to, to Ascot. And speaking of Ascot, Alistair Warwick has been appointed as now full-time Chief Executive Officer of Ascot Racecourse. He joined Ascot in 2008 and he's held the positions of Managing Director and Acting Chief Executive for the last few months. Uh, Sir Francis Brooke, who is His Majesty's Representative and Chairman of Ascot Authority, said that he was delighted Alistair had accepted the post of Chief Executive. In the last 15 years, he's gained the leadership and strategic skills needed for this multifaceted role. I, I suppose that the key points here, Jane, are first that he is not, if not an Ascot lifer, at least someone who knows every inch of the place inside out. And also the two most important areas in which he's been involved are television uh, with the ITV contract, which is quite complex with all the different race courses and world pool, which is becoming increasingly important. For sure. He showed his uh, negotiation skills for sure when he uh, signed up the ITV deal to 2026. And you mentioned uh, the addition of world pool, but Alistair Warwick's been with Ascot for 15 years. He knows how all of the different uh, facets work. Um, he came from Hamilton. He had experience as operations manager at Aintree. Um, his predecessor, Vivian Curry, didn't last very long. She was there for less than six months. And of course, before her uh, was the previous incumbent, uh, Guy Henderson, who was there for uh, quite a long time. But Alistair Warwick now, basically having been doing the job for a number of months, has just got the title and can take the reins for sure. Now, Jane, returning briefly to Florida and combining that with the theme of the Breeze Up sales, pleased to welcome OBS to the NLD family. OBS selling more two-year-olds 
than any other sales company in the world. And the March sale has 833 catalogued this year in which you'll find something for everybody, a really diverse group at all price points. And the March sale since 2018 has yielded 300 stakes winners, 67% on dirt. And the two-year-old sales combined account for 14% of the graded stakes placing since 2018. You can head to the website where you'll see the pedigree, the video of the horses under tack and the video of the horses walking. And a two-year-old buyer at OBS is not only buying the horse's potential, but also the expertise of the horsemen that prepare these horses for their future. It is truly an international marketplace, and OBS horses have been purchased by buyers from 49 of the 50 United States, Korea, Japan, the Middle East, Hong Kong, Singapore, and from Europe. And the March sale is continuing as we speak, uh, the horses having been under tack during Cheltenham week. And then the uh, April sale takes place 25th to the 28th with the horses uh, performing under tax 16th to the 22nd and then the June OBS sale the 13th to the 15th with the horses under tax from the 5th and the 10th. The OBS sale continuing now. All right, it is Tuesday, which means we go around the bloodstock world with our friends at Weatherby's, their excellent stallion book and their stallion guide. And you can find all the information about the stallions I'm about to talk about in the book and their dedicated National Hunt Stallion reference, nhstallions.co.uk, which suggests to you that we are not quite done with Cheltenham from a bloodstock point of view. And with that in mind, we check in with Con O'Keefe from Kilbarry Lodge Stud, who stands for stallions at present. Most crucially uh, for the conversation we're having today, amongst them is Diamond Boy, the sire of the brilliant winner of the Ballymore Novices Hurdle, Ampere A Pass. Uh, Con, welcome to the show. We saw last week 27 different sires of 28 winners at the Cheltenham Festival. I guess to be amongst that roster was was quite important. Yeah, it was fantastic to be uh, to have the, the Ballymore winner and also to follow up last year from Lampresse's great um, Brown Advisory win. So that's two great one winners one year after the other from very, very small crops uh, that he had initially in France, you know. I guess the obvious question is, what attracted you to, to Diamond Boy? France has so many jump stallions or dual-purpose stallions. It, it must be extremely hard to know which one to identify that's really going to click and capture the imagination in Ireland. Uh, well, at the time we bought him, there were a few things happening. Um, his first crop of three-year-olds were in 2016, and he'd only 19 runners, and from that crop alone, he had 10 winners. And at the same time, around that time, the Irish pinhookers were going to France, and the word about his foes was very good. He was stamping his stock, and in the spring store sale of 2017, he had a sales topper. These are the last remaining remnants of the Barley Truck line still standing. Yeah, I, I was going to say, it's, it's it's dying out quite fast, isn't it, the, the Barley Turk? I mean, uh, Susie Pritchard-Jones, who's a, a regular listener, often often contacts me about it. And if you, if you, if you, if you read the history of the, of the English thoroughbred, Barley Turk wasn't even included, and they rescinded the Jersey Act to, to actually include that horse back in the 40s so that he could be part of the English third book because he's, uh, he was originally described as a half-bred. But because his progeny were so good and he won so many races, 
you know, they, they included him in the English third book and here we are ever since. Well, there's nothing nothing half-bred looking about Ampere Pass, that's for sure. He looked absolutely brilliant last week. Um, as you say, not not your first success standing size of Cheltenham Festival winners. I, I did want to ask you, though, 27 Stallions, 28 winners. It Does it show us that we need to think more innovatively and imaginatively about purchasing and acquiring National Hunt stock that actually there are so many different sides that are capable of producing good horses. Well, you, you've seen it with Cato Star, a bit of Star, you know, Denim Red, s- several different sires, you know, uh, out of AQPS mares getting one or two horses. So it's spread across. The problem is that it's uh, in Ireland, we breed, it's, it's, it's commercial, we breed to sell. So it's very much a driven market by sales and that. And, the market is skewed towards breeding a sales horse rather than a race horse, which you know may not be the best way, but that's the way it's going here. And maybe we have to readjust a little bit. In France, they're they're more open. They're breeding from jumping sires. They're breeding from AQPS mares. We would call them slow mares, going back to Selfrance mares. So they have a different steer on it. And maybe you know we can learn. Maybe they're we have to take the best from both both. Um, methods of breeding to, to get the best resources. But certainly, like you said, um, if you look at the, the, the stats, uh, the horses that cover most mares don't necessarily get the most grade one mares in Cheltenham, for sure. Uh, but you have got quite a nice um, little bit of diversity within the stallions that you're standing at the moment. I mean, you've talked about Diamond Boy and, and his credentials. Completely different type of pedigree, Success Days, who was a, more of a miler on the flat and a son of Jeremy. Uh, who sadly died before he, his extraordinary impact could really be felt. Harzand, who is one of those traditional Aga Khan horses by, by See the Stars, a derby winner. Uh, and, and Pillar Coral, who, you know, to tapping into something quite interesting here because Coastal Path has been having plenty of success and he's from that family. That's right. Half brother to Coastal Path and Martinine and Reefscape. And he's first Irish four year old. A runner was yesterday uh, for Dunica Doyle, and he finished a good second in a point-to-point. So, you know, he gets great big horses. He's a big horse himself. He was injured and didn't race. Um, it's a beautiful family. The, as you know, It's he's a, the dam is a saddle as well as Marilyn. She's a half-sister to the dam of Beat Hollow and the dam of Court Cave. And uh, you've also, in the family, you have Oasis Dream, King Manzenda, who's by Zamandar, the dam of Kingman. And it's a beautiful family. He's he's a great big rangy horse, getting really good looking stock at a cheap, modest fee. So he, he ticks a lot of boxes for people who don't want to spend a lot of money. It's not just the horse is on fire, the county's on fire as well, as everyone was very quick to tell me last week. It was another quite good week for Waterford. Well, to witness what happened on Tuesday in Cheltenham, we were there, my wife and I, and to see how uh, humanity kicked in when, um, when when Henry's filly came in and won. It was just fantastic. I mean, these are my neighbours, my friends. They live up the road. They're a phenomenal family, what they've endured. And uh, to see the whole, everybody in Cheltenham come with them and, and, and uh, celebrate with them and, and cry with them last Tuesday. I mean, for, for a race and for an occasion, to, to upstage what Constitution Hill did was some was something to witness. It was incredible. But, you know, 
they deserve it. He's an incredible man and they're just an unbelievable family and we're lucky to know them and to, and, and to support them. All right. So thanks to Con O'Keefe. Jane Mangan is still with me. He's a nice man, isn't he? He's an absolute gentleman and his, his entire family are as well. You'd wish them all the luck in the world because they run a good show down there in County Waterford. We mentioned, you know, at Cheltenham, there was a lot of Cork Waterford rivalry. Well, they've got they've got a good stallion down there. Yeah, I, I realised after this that there's a, you're, you're playing six degrees of Cork, really. You know that game, Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, where you can get yourself to Kevin Bacon in six steps or get any act- actor to Kevin Bacon in six steps. You can you can find your way to Cork with just about anybody in Irish racing you choose, can't you? Essentially, yeah, we're we're we are the unofficial capital of Ireland, and uh, when it comes to horse racing, we're you know we've got a lot of talented people. So you, Brian Hayes, is a Cork guy, yeah. Brian Hayes and Michael O'Sullivan, Davy Russell, and more, yeah, yeah, good stuff. Um, and Jane Mangan, of course, flying the flag for Cork on an uh, an almost insufferably regular basis um who's who who's hosting my sunday show while i'm away jane i'm not sure i think it's open to tender if anybody wants to to put their hat in the ring do contact the podcast are you are you walking away no we're 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 getting we're getting our ducks in a row and hopefully we'll have a couple of good guests we have i'm sure with the first day of flat racing back at the Curra on Saturday, we'll have plenty of stories from there. You'll be reporting from Dubai, who, you know, you surely have a couple of big stories from there. Will we have a, a potential Kentucky Derby candidate emerge in Cairo? Or will we have uh, Simon and Ed Crisford get their first group one in one of the richest races in the world? Indeed so. And of course, if you weren't with us yesterday, Ed Crisford was speaking about the chances of Algiers in the Dubai World Cup, which is where I'll be broadcasting from tomorrow. So join us then. But for the moment, that was Tuesday, the 21st of March. Oh, I've forgotten forgotten to ask you for a tip. Yeah, and this one one I'm pretty confident in, if I'm honest, because I think Starman is very lucky to be still qualified for a maiden hurdle for horses that have not placed in the first three. Starman and a 2.30 at Clonmel. It's a maiden hurdle for unplaced horses in the colours of Michael Ronan, who started off no less than Moonracer all those years ago for Declan Queeley in the 2.30. All right, Jane, thanks so much. Thank you for listening. See you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.